Marbles of the Kingdom. Welcome, everybody. Pastor Chris here. If you're just joining us for the first time, if you are a friend or a family member and somebody gave you a link and said, check this out, or you're scrolling through Facebook and you came across this, I'm Pastor Chris. Good to have you tuning in today, especially today because we are starting a new focus, a new series called Parables of the Kingdom, How Jesus Shatters Our Long-Held Christian ideas. This is going to be a nine-week study, a nine-week journey as a church community through October, through November, and like Justin and Sarah Ann just said a few moments ago, uh, a a lot of our life groups are going to be diving into a study starting this week, so get in a group if you're not in one. Uh, This week, they're going to be diving into it, processing it more together. We want our whole church kind of just, not just hearing a message, but really digging in going, how does this shine? going to affect my life? Uh, You know, how how did God speak to my heart through this? Now, I want you to look at that tagline again. Why does it say Jesus shatters our long-held Christian ideas? Why is that the tagline? Well, see, good question. I want to kind of lay this out for you. To understand that, we've got to first zero in on the kingdom, parables of the kingdom. Um, When Jesus, many of the parables he he started with, he he said that the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. And and those were used interchangeably. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kind of the same thing. Uh, A lot of the Jews did not want to uh, use the Lord's name in vain, so they would insert heaven instead of God and say kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. So it means the same thing. Um, But kingdom does not refer to heaven. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was not about heaven. And it's not about the church. The kingdom of God is something different. It's bigger than that. I want to read from a quote by George Eldon Ladd. Um, In the book, The Storytelling God, author Jared Wilson quotes famous theologian George Eldon Ladd, who put it like this. When the word, that's a Bible, refers to God's kingdom, it always refers to his reign, his rule, his sovereignty. God's kingdom, his makut, is his universal rule, his sovereignty over all the earth. When the, let's keep going. Jesus said we must receive the kingdom of God as little children. What is received? Is it the church? Is it heaven? What is received is God's rule. In order to enter the future realm of the kingdom, one must submit himself in perfect trust to God's rule here and now. So the kingdom of God, God, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is about the rule and the reign of God breaking in to the here and now. And so when Jesus told parables of the kingdom, they were parables meant to proclaim truths about God's kingdom breaking in to the here and now through Jesus Christ. Now, that brings us to the next question. What is a parable? What is a parable? Jesus was not the first one to tell parables. This was a popular teaching device used by Pharisees, used by rabbis. The difference, however, is that the Pharisees and rabbis used parables to teach about God's revelation from the Mosaic Law. Jesus used parables to teach new revelation that nobody had ever heard before. New revelation about how God's kingdom works. New revelation about God's heart and what it's really like. And in these new revelations, Jesus actually offended, challenged, upended, flipped over people's 
expectations, the Jews' expectations for how God's kingdom uh, would work, how God's kingdom would be ushered in. The word parable comes from the Greek prefix para, which means to come alongside, right? Think paralegal. And also bole, which means to throw or to hurl. So it's, it's to throw something alongside of. A parable was used to throw something alongside of in order to illustrate a comparison. So Jesus' parables were about everyday earthly things, fish and wheat and tares and thorns and thistles and farming and soils. And he would throw those stories alongside of deeper spiritual realities in order to illustrate those deeper spiritual realities. But what's strange and what's bothersome and what could be the first offense for many of us uh, is that while Jesus wanted these deep spiritual truths to be more uh, readily understood by some people, he also told these parables so that other people would be pushed further away. Now that doesn't make sense, does it? After one particular parable, Jesus ended with this statement in Mark 4. He said, whoever has ears to hear, this is Mark 4 verse 9, let's put it up there, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever has a heart that truly wants to take in what I just said, in other words, may he hear it. May this parable help him understand it, help him grab hold of it. But the implication is that not everybody's going to want to hear it. Not everybody's going to really want to take it in. Not everybody's going to really want to receive this spiritual truth. Only those who have ears to hear. Soon after he's alone, the very next verse in Mark 5, he's alone. The disciples come to him. The twelves come to him. And they're like, you know, what's up with these parables, man? Why do you always speak in parables? Look what he says. He told them in verse 11, he told them, the, king, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and then he quotes Isaiah 6, 9, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, what the heck is Jesus saying here? Again, this could be potentially offensive. Jesus knows not everybody wants to truly understand and receive God and how God's kingdom works. They have their own expectations. They want God to do their own thing. They, they, they pray things like, God, my kingdom come, my will be done. Can you make it happen? Can you go about making it happen? They had these expectations. Jesus knew that not everybody wanted the rule and the reign of God to break into their lives. They wanted God to assist their own rule and reign in the world. Their hearts were hardened towards God and how God operated. And so Jesus told parables to almost incite the hard-hearted, to get them to go, I don't even want this, and step away. Because otherwise, here's the thing, it's too easy for us to play religious games. Jesus came to draw a line in the sand and go, you're either in or you're out. 
You either want this or you don't want it. Let's stop playing the games. And telling parables was one way he drew a line in the sand and helped people who wanted it and go, oh, that's that's what the kingdom is like. I want it. And other people would go, oh, that's what the kingdom of God is like? Nah. That, that's not for me. I, I'm not into that. In another place, Jesus said this, Matthew 10. He said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Again, he quotes Old Testament. He's saying, I, I've come to fulfill this. I've come to draw a line in the sand and say, this is how my kingdom works. And those who want in and grab hold of it, they're going to make enemies of people, even people in their own household. Do you want it? Are you willing? Do do you want into my kingdom so much that you you recognize that it's going to come at a cost? Some people are going to turn against you because they're not going to want it. They're They're going to be offended by my kingdom. So that's what these parables are like. They're 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 are meant to do. They're meant to uh, call some of us in and push others of us further away, who are already hard-hearted, but perhaps playing religious games. It's like sushi. You either love sushi or you don't, right? Yeah. Anybody put it in the chat section. Do you love sushi? Most people they love it or they don't love it. Jesus came and said, listen, I ain't gonna try to dress up your sushi with ketchup, mustard, and pickles and make it taste like a hamburger so it's more palatable to you. You either want it or you don't want it. That's what my kingdom is like. So in summary, Jesus told parables to explain how God's rule and reign is breaking into our broken world And these parables have the potential to humble us or to push us further away. As we go through these parables, listen, I would not be surprised if it filters some people out of True Life Church. I wouldn't be surprised if some people go, not only do I not like True Life Church preaching on these things, I I, I don't even know if I want Christianity anymore. I thought I did. I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm also praying, and by God's grace, this is going to be the case for the most part, I'm also praying that more people lean in, not just to True Life Church, but lean into God's kingdom and grab hold of it with greater joy, greater passion, greater fervency. I would not be surprised if during this season, October, November, if there's people who go, man, I trusted in Jesus for the first time. I want to get baptized. Other people might go, you know what? I thought I was a Christian and I realized I am not, but I want to be and become Christians for the first time. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not just one nugget of truth that penetrates somebody's heart from one parable from one week that completely transforms their family. I wouldn't be surprised if some people finally are able to grant forgiveness to friends who have hurt them or family members who have hurt them during these parables. I would not be surprised if strongholds of addiction are not broken during these two months. 
So lean into this. Um, this is why our life groups are discussing these together we, so that we can be processing, so that we give the Holy Spirit space to really speak to us and really drive some of these things home. Okay, so that's the end of a long introduction to this series. The first message is going to be short, so don't worry. Let's dive into the first two parables, both of which are found. They're back-to-back parables, Matthew 13, 44 to 46. They're very short parables. Um, They're back-to-back. Jesus tells them back-to-back, rapid fire. Both of them pretty much make the same point that Jesus is making. Um, The reason we're doing these first is because I firmly believe that if we don't get these parables, or more pointedly, if we reject the point of these parables, we're likely going to reject the point of the other parables. That, that are going to be following in other weeks. These are parables about what we value, what we treasure, what we um, uh, uh, f- you know, find our joy in, in our hearts. Um, I heard R.C. Sproul <coughs> recently, uh, I heard R.C. Sproul, um, uh, what am I trying to say? He pointed out that our values are different than our morals and our ethics. Okay? They overlap, but they're different. Our morals and our ethics speak to what we see as right, right? <laughs> um, w- what we see as, well, moral. This is, this is the right thing. This is the holy thing, if you will. Um, but our values are about, like, really what drive our emotions. Uh, it really drives our joy. And again, they overlap, but there's a difference. Um, I'll give you an example. I'm married to Jess. If, imagine Jess comes to me and she says, babe, are you ever tempted to cheat on me? And imagine my response was, no way, because that would be wrong. Would she be honored? Maybe, a little. But not as honored, and ladies, you correct me if I'm wrong, not as honored as if I said, babe, no way. No way, because I value you so much more. No other woman compares to you. You know how thankful I am to be married to you? Do you understand that being married to you? I don't think about other women. See the difference? It's not about right. I'm not ascribing to, I'm not referencing, I'm not pointing to my morals or my ethics as the reason. No, babe, I don't cheat on you because I'm just, I'm, I'm a moral guy and I'm an ethical guy and that's a, that violates my ethical standards. Good, <laughs> but she wants me to want her more than any other woman. That my heart would treasure her, right? Do, do you see the difference between a moral ethical framework and what we actually value? What we value is about what brings us joy, what moves us, what captivates us. And the parable we're going to look at today speaks to what we value or what we should value and why we don't often value what we should value and therefore raises the following question. Do I really belong to Jesus's kingdom or do I simply believe the right things about him? Do I really belong to Jesus's kingdom Or do I simply believe the right things about him? Do you know the book of James has a verse that says even the demons believe the right things? What makes you different from a demon? That's basically what we're talking about today. So Jesus, wherever people are watching from, I pray that they would stop right now, stop multitasking for a moment, 
and let you soften their hearts and give them ears to hear. Give them a desire to grab hold of any truth that you want to reveal to them in this message through these parables. It's in your name. I can ask these things. It's in your beautiful, powerful name that I can ask these things and believe that you're going to respond. You're going to start to move in people's hearts right now. Amen. Okay, Matthew 13, verse 44. Let's dive into it. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, in the ancient world, it was common for people to have a field, own a field, and bury their wealth, their treasure in that field. And, and then they would go back and dig it up later. You know, they didn't have banks to put stuff in, and they didn't have safety deposit boxes, so they would bury it in the field. They would keep track of where it was. Now, every once in a while, somebody would die before they could uncover their treasure and hand it off to their heirs and whatnot. Uh, and so a stranger might be playing around in a field and find somebody's treasure. And maybe they go and they buy that field. Um, and so this parable, and this, Jesus tells here, it's, it's about a, a man who finds this treasure that had been hidden, and he perceived this treasure to be so valuable, he perceived it to be of such great worth that it was worth selling everything he owned in order to buy that field so that he could get that treasure. Let me ask you, before we move on to the next parable, what would move you and captivate your heart so much that it would cause you to want to sell everything you owned in order to have that thing? What would move you so much? What would be of such great value, so worth having, that you would be willing to give up, listen, 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 your home, your car, your truck, your boat, your clothes, your video games, your iPhones, your iPads, your your hair stuff, your makeup, your books, your, the coffee mug that you got from your grandchild saying you're the best grandpa in the whole world. Everything in order to have that one thing. What would it be? Is there anything? Is there anything? Think about that. We'll come back to that. Second parable, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So the second parable is about a jewelry merchant who specializes in selling pearls. Now in that time, pearls were more rare. They were more precious than diamonds, than gold, than silver, than pretty much anything else. And so here's a jewelry merchant finds a pearl, one pearl, one pearl, and it's of such great value that he's like, you know what? This whole collection I got behind me, this whole collection that's pretty much my business, I'm going to sell it in order to get this one pearl. That's got to be some kind of special pearl, huh? That's a special pearl for him to say, I I'm taking my collection, I'm taking my business. It's almost like when you had those baseball cards, right? Remember as a kid, you're trading cards, and you're like, oh, Don Mattingly is of such great value to me. I remember Don Mattingly. Um, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trade in all my other cards. I'll trade you a Daryl Strawberry, and I'll trade you a Jose Canseco, and I'll trade you all these other cards for a Don Mattingly, right? <laughs> I just remember having those three when I was a kid. Uh, you trade in everything for one, one. His precious collection of valuables suddenly meant less when he found this pearl. See that? 
Okay, so his his collection means a lot to him. Then he finds this one pearl, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, you know what? This doesn't this doesn't mean as much in comparison to this one pearl. What I formerly treasured over here has now uh, um, become less significant in my heart. It, it weighs less on my heart than this one pearl that I want to grab hold of. See? And, and, and so Jesus' point is that when you find something extremely valuable, you're willing to give up everything for it. Well, the spiritual point he's making when he says the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field, the kingdom of God is like uh, this pearl, he's saying that the kingdom of God is that valuable. The kingdom of God is that valuable. It's worth selling everything for. It's worth giving everything up in order to grab hold of. Now, here's what's important. We're either going to understand its value and be willing to give up all else for it, or we're going to miss out on grabbing hold of God's kingdom. Even if we can know about it, even if we see it, even if we uh, know some truths in our heads about it, we're like the person who um, finds a treasure hidden in the field and then goes, that's nice. Puts it back in the field and goes, but I'm not going to sell everything to buy the field. I-, I know where it is. I can tell my friends about it. I can I can draw a picture of it even. But they don't grab hold of it because they don't sell everything to buy that field. You see? Uh, it, it, uh, in other words, let me let me use an analogy. I can go to an antique car shop or an antique car show. I can see a car and recognize its objective value and go, wow, that, the car's expensive. The car's worth something. I am probably never going to own an antique car. It doesn't do it for me. It doesn't move me. It doesn't captivate me. I can recognize its objective value in my head but not feel subjective value for it in my heart. Does that make sense? I can believe in a thing's value, but not value it in my heart. I can recognize its objective worth, but not feel a subjective worth in my heart for that thing. Uh, Another example. There were girls who I used to date who I recognized would make great wives. For some guy out there. But none of them made me want to flip my life upside down, stop dating, forsake all others, in order to marry them. Only Jess, when she came along, was I willing to go, I'll live in any city, I'll stop dating any girls, I'll do whatever it takes to date her, propose to her, and marry her. Only Jess. I could recognize objectively these girls will make great wives, but I didn't want to give up everything in order to marry them. That's how the kingdom of God is for many of us. It's like it's like the girls I used to date. It's like a an antique car is to me. It's like yeah, I can recognize. I get Jesus. I guess you know it's good to have him a little bit of him in your life. You know what? I guess I do believe some of those things about him, and maybe I believe all the things about him. But when push comes to shove, when there's a crisis point in my life, when there's a crossroads in my life, and I can choose to either serve him, obey him, and trust him here and go down this road, or I can keep my life status quo because I don't want to. I don't want to rock the I don't want to give up anything. I'm going to choose not to give up anything because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't trust that path for my joy. I'll add a little God into my life here and there when it's convenient. 
and I'll, I'll believe the right things. Well, the point of this parable is that we can't do that and say that we've received the kingdom. We're like the person, therefore, who finds the treasure hidden in the field and goes, eh, that's nice, and moves on. The guy who finds the pearl of great value and goes, nah, I want to hold on to my collection. And then, well, many professing Christians know about Jesus, believe the right things about him, but don't truly treasure him. And sadly, I would say, therefore, don't belong to him or not part of his kingdom. This parable helps us to understand how much God is not just after our morals. He's not just after our behavior. He's not just after our beliefs. He's after our hearts. He's after the center of our joy factories. He's after what we treasure. He wants to be, because he knows it's best for us, what we treasure. Notice in the first parable where it says, in his joy. I, I capitalized it this time. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he sold everything to buy that field. It's not about, oh, you know, I recognize it, and I, I, should, I guess I should grab hold of it. No, he was like, wow, I want this. I want this. I will gladly give up everything else to have this. I will gladly sell everything in order to have this. I will gladly flip my life upside down in order to have this treasure. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not believing the right things. It's I will gladly let my life be flipped upside down to have Jesus, to have his kingdom. Now, don't read, when Jesus talks about selling everything, don't read that as um, uh, um, you earn your way into God's kingdom. Don't read that as you earn your way into having Jesus, or you can, you know, like you, you sell all your stuff and you give to the poor, and, and, and therefore you've, you've proved to God that, you know, you're worthy. Don't read that. That's not what Jesus is saying. You don't earn your way into, you don't buy your way into God's kingdom. That's not the point of this. However, there is a condition for receiving God's kingdom that Jesus is pointing out here. There is one condition to receiving God's kingdom. Are you ready for that condition? There's a condition you have to meet. Are you ready for it? The condition is to receive God's kingdom, you have to want it. You have to want it. You have to want his kingdom you have to want to take hold of it. You want to receive it. Receive him. It's like when the ice cream truck comes around the neighborhood. My kids will drop everything. They're like, oh, oh, is that the ice cream? Is that, I think that's the ice cream music. They start like spinning around. Start, they don't know what to do. Whatever they're doing, they stop everything. And you can just see their brains working. Maybe tonight, can we have ice cream? Do we have enough money? Do we have cash? Like, like whether we're eating dinner and it's like, you know, uh, it could be a bad dinner, right? And then, of course, they're going to be like, oh, it's the ice cream truck. Can we get ice cream tonight? Or they're playing a super fun game in the backyard. Still, they drop everything. <gasps> the ice cream truck. That's what it's like to grab hold of God's kingdom. We're like, wait, Jesus? The king of the universe, the, the, the one who created this world, 
came down here and died for me so that I could be forgiven, so that, I, so that my past could be healed, so that God won't hold my sins against me, so that I could be part of this kingdom that will go on forever, so that I can have this unconditional love by a God of the universe, so that I could have the creator God reigning and ruling in my heart, so that I could submit to him as my master, instead of submitting to all these other stupid masters out there, money and sex and my job and my career and my in-laws. I don't have to submit to them anymore. I don't have to look to them for meaning. I can submit to the king of the universe and have him reign and rule for my good, I can have that? I can have purpose and meaning? Are you kidding me? I want it. I want it. I'll let my life be flipped upside down for that. I'll give up whatever. You tell me that this isn't good for me, I'll give it up. You tell me to forgive this person because it's the right thing to do, I'll forgive that person. You tell me to risk having an awkward conversation with that person, that conflict, step into it, and, and risk rejection, I'll risk rejection because I know that I've got your approval and acceptance lavished on me. I don't have to worry about everybody liking me all the time because I got you, God. I want that. That's what it means. <clears throat> now, when it says the kingdom of God, notice Jesus said the kingdom of God, for both parables, is like, or the kingdom of heaven, rather, is like treasure hidden in the field. And then verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he says the kingdom of God, um, he, he means more than Jesus, like more than himself. Now, why does he say that? He, he doesn't say... The Messiah or the Savior is like treasure hidden in the field. Or the Messiah, the Savior, is like uh, a pearl. Well, because King Jesus does have a kingdom. He announced not just the, the, the coming of the king. He announced the kingdom of God is at hand. He, he, he proclaimed, hey, the kingdom of God is here. What was he saying? Remember when we started, the kingdom means the reign and rule of God. He was saying the reign and the rule of God is breaking in now because he's here, because the king stepped off his throne. But it, 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 it refers to his reign and his rule. God is about reclaiming the entire creation for himself. God does not give up on his creation. He's going to renew all of creation. And so Jesus says... The kingdom of God is here. It's at work. It's breaking into this broken world. God is at work reclaiming the world for himself through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he invites us, when we trust in him, to be part of that kingdom renewal project. That, that, that kingdom advancing, take back creation for God project. Therefore... It's about more than a personal faith. It's about more than a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, you, hear, you know, being a Christian means you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's true. You do get a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's awesome. But it's also about this kingdom takeover in the world. It's also about this global mission that Jesus has of reaching every nation, tribe, and tongue with this news of his kingdom. It's about making sure those who are not being fed right now get fed because in God's kingdom people are fed in the world a lot of people are starving so he wants his kingdom to break in to the starving world see so his kingdom is, is in grabbing hold of it it's about us wanting to be part of that kingdom 
being passionate about a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him vertically, but also passionate about what he wants to do globally in the world. See? So therefore, it speaks to us holding loosely to habits like Netflix and video games and anything else that will get in the way of us communing with God, right? Yeah, like I want to be passionate about prayer with Jesus more than I'm passionate about watching Netflix. But it also speaks to the global mission that Jesus has for us to be part of. And it says, you know what? I should want to give anything away, risk my own life in order to get this message of the king out to people in the other side of the globe who have not yet heard about this king who have not yet heard about his kingdom, who have not yet been touched by his kingdom, including the 1.45 billion people in the world who not only haven't heard about Jesus, but actually at the moment have no chance of hearing about him unless somebody from outside their culture steps in to say, hey, there's actually a king who died for you and his kingdom is advancing. You can be part of it. There's a treasure hidden in the field. You get to be part of it. And it's us caring about that. And being willing to say, ah, I'll flip over my life to get that message out there. Whatever it takes. Because I want to see your kingdom advance. Everything changes when we can grasp the treasure that is the kingdom of God. Everything changes for us. Everything should change for us. When you find this treasure, when you grab hold of it, you're going to do everything differently. You're going you're gonna to run your business differently. Even when your business suffers losses, you will suffer those business losses differently than the rest of the world suffers business losses. You're going to spend your money differently. You're going to give your money differently. You're going to save your money differently. You're going to lose at sports differently <laughs> because you have the kingdom of God than somebody who, who doesn't have the kingdom of God. Everything changes. How you deal with trials, how you respond to people who criticize you changes when you find your joy in having the kingdom of God. John Piper said this, the heart satisfied in God will produce a public brightness and a taste in the way it will respond to suffering and in the way it does good deeds. In other words, the world around us should see that, oh wow, there's something different. They, they find this joy in something foreign outside this world that makes them respond to the trials differently than the rest of the world does. There's a peace, there's a contentment there where they can lose things and it doesn't matter as much. They're not as attached to things as much. See, there's two false ideas when it comes to God's view of our happiness. On one end of the spectrum is this idea that God doesn't care about our happiness at all. He doesn't care about you having joy. He just wants you to be holy, moral, ethical person. And I hope I debunked that one already. That's not the case, <laughs> right? The other side of the spectrum, however, is that God wants us happy and his means of making us happy is by blessing our self-centered attempts to be happy by grabbing hold of temporary worldly treasures, God's just going to give us, you know, whatever, whatever we think is going to make us happy, and God's, God's supposed to be our magic genie. So sometimes we hear people say things like, um, I, need to, I need to quit this job because God wants me to be happy. Or worse, I need to quit this marriage because God wants me to be happy. 
And what they're really saying is, I am not happy in God. I, my joy is not in God. I don't treasure Jesus and his kingdom that much. What I, what I really treasure is a better job. What I really treasure is a spouse who's going to meet all my expectations. That's what I really need to be happy. This parable speaks to that and says, no, no, no. Kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in the field. God is the one who's like treasure hidden in the field. Knowing him, being a part of his kingdom, and therefore you can find contentment at any job. You can find, you can find contentment uh, w- with your spouse even when things are, are difficult. Now that doesn't mean there's not going to be times when God may lead you to find a different job. I think it's, uh, uh, that will be more likely than, than, than the times that I've heard people say, God wants me to be happy, therefore I should leave this marriage. Uh, usually somebody's trying to look to their spouse to be for them what only God can be for them, right? But God does bless us circumstantially, and, and we should praise him for that. He, he gives us good jobs, for seasons, and if we can get a new job that's better, get a new job that's better. Nothing wrong with that. Just we re- we need to recognize that a good job often gives gives way to a bad job, right? Uh, a, a, a good season gives way to a difficult season, and so when we have the good seasons, when we have the good jobs, when 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 things are going well, uh, when our cars are running smoothly, we should praise God for that. Say, so, you know, th- that's a blessing from God. I had a great piece of. Uh, 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 some pork ribs the other night. They were great. They were really good. We were down in Ocean City. They were. I was thinking about them the next day. I was like, God, thank you for those pork ribs. Like that's a gift from God. But those gifts from God are sandcastles. I, I like to call them sandcastles. You make a sandcastle. You step back. Maybe you take a photo. You go, Wow, look at that sandcastle. And then what happens? Waves come in, wash it away. It's temporary. These things are temporary, which is why our joy, our treasure needs to be God, his kingdom that will endure forever. The kingdom that is breaking in now will one day be ushered in in its entirety, in its fullness, and we're going to be inheritors of that kingdom. We're going to be heirs of that kingdom forever. That's where our joy should be found. That's what we should be treasuring. And to help advance that, it might mean be giving up temporary treasures. Happily. Happily, we do that. When the rubber hits the road, we, 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 we are willing to say, you know what? I, I, I'm going to take this risk because what I might lose is worth it. Jim Elliott, a missionary who was killed in 1956, uh, he said, we don't, I don't have this in my notes, just, just remembering it off the top of my head. Um, he said, he is no fool who risks what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. I can risk my life to bring the good news of Jesus to a people who's never heard of him so that for all of eternity I can celebrate with these people. We can celebrate together knowing Jesus together. That's worth it. It's worth it. All right, I'm going to end. Let's end. I'm going to end with a couple questions, three questions. I want us to process, and we're going to process while we're listening to a worship songs, song slash songs. Um, we're going to we're going to process these questions. Please don't be like, um, you know, service is over and I'm moving on. No, 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 no. Service is not over. We're going to, this is part of what we call our response time. And when we're meeting in person again, we always have a response time at the end. It's a time to just let God's Spirit speak to us, process, um, pray, worship, sing. Um, So as we're singing and as we're listening, 
Think about these questions, and then Justin and Sarah Ann will, will, will be on to talk about them a little more. Here they are. Number one, do you remember when you first got excited about Jesus? Do you remember? Like, if you're, if, you, if, if you're a Christian, do you remember when you first trusted in him, you first grabbed hold of him, you first understood, man, he loves me, holy cow, I can't believe this. Do you remember that? And have you lost it? Have you, have you lost it? Do you find yourself getting upset about things that have nothing to do with Jesus and his kingdom? Everything to do with you seeing yourself as the center of your own universe. That's the first question. Maybe you never got excited about Jesus. Maybe you never really known Jesus. Again, you grew up church. You believe the right things. You get the right answers on the Sunday school tests and the quizzes and, and all that. Uh, but you don't, you never known him. You never, you never got excited. He was never your treasure. If that's the case, maybe, again, maybe you aren't a Christian. But you can be today. You can be today. And that leads me to my next question. Do you want to want Jesus and his kingdom above all else? Maybe you find yourself saying, man, that joy that I once had, I don't have it anymore. But I want to have it back. I recognize that I, I find my joy in so many other things. I get captivated by so many other things I don't want to anymore. I don't want to be captivated by this dream of my business blowing up. I want to be captivated by Jesus and his kingdom. I don't want to look forward at the end of the day to watching Netflix more than I do spending time in God's word, knowing him. I'll be honest, a few years ago, I recognized in myself, I looked forward to watching a show on Netflix at the end of the day more than anything else. Like that was my, like I needed it and I didn't realize it. I know this sounds silly. I know this is a silly example. It's also not in my notes. Um, I realized it when my cable went out one night and I was depressed. I, I, I literally was thinking like, oh man, I, I can't end the day like this without watching. And I realized it was like, seriously? I, I really need to watch the show tonight to feel like the day gets wrapped up smoothly. And so cut to now... I don't even ha- I don't even look forward to watch like we, we watch stuff but it not to the same degree where I look forward to spending time with Jesus now in a greater way than I do watching Netflix. <laughs> like in the middle of the night when I'm up for a couple hours, I look forward to that time with Jesus. Early in the morning, I look forward like there's something rich about it. It doesn't feel like, "Oh, I should I should read the Bible." No, it's, it's, it's a chance for him to remind me of who he is and stir my awe of him. I wanted to want him more than Netflix, and God gave that to me. And that brings me to my third one. Do you believe Jesus wants to help you to want him and his kingdom above all else? Do you really believe that Jesus wants to help you? Because maybe you're like, man, I get, I get angry about the stupidest things. And believe me, I'm still there. I get angry about stuff sometimes. I get, I get ticked off about stuff. And then I'm like, why am I bothered by this? This has nothing to do with Jesus and his kingdom. And I, I ask, I'm like, Jesus, can you help me not to, not to care about this so much and to care about... To care about those pe- those 1.45 billion people in the world who have no chance of hearing about you. Help me to care about that m- m- more than I care about this stupid little thing over here. Help me to care about that. Well, I believe Jesus wants to give us that. That's not something we can manufacture on our own. 
That's the thing. There's no commands in this parable. Jesus doesn't say, the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in the field. Therefore, go and want that. No, it's a matter of fact statement. It's like treasure hidden in the field. You're either going to sell all you want, all that you have to get it, or you're not. Well, that leaves me to conclude, Jesus wants me to want to see his kingdom like that. He, he wants me to not only see its objective worth, but to feel its subjective worth. And so all I can do is say, Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. That's what I've been praying for you guys leading up to this parable this week. Jesus, help True Life Church to want you more than everything else. More than they, more than, more than they want to, uh, you know, more better communication in their marriage and, and their kids to behave and their, you know, reputations to, to, to be awesome in the community and their businesses to blow up and their, all that. Oh, good stuff. Pray for that stuff. I, I pray for that stuff for you. But more importantly, Jesus helped them to want you more than that stuff. Do you want? So those are the three. Let's just let's go through those three questions one more time. Do you remember when you first got excited about Jesus? If you remember and you've lost it, the second question, do you want to want Jesus and his kingdom above all else? And then thirdly, do you believe Jesus wants to help you want him and his kingdom above all else? His Holy Spirit is faithful. That's a prayer you can, you can believe he wants to answer. So let's process those questions. Let's think about those questions. We're going to cut to uh, some, some singing and some worship with Mandy. And then Sarah Ann and Justin will be back.